Very good evening. Please do be seated. It's lovely to have you all with us this evening. We're continuing our sermon series through John's Gospel. We are now in John chapter 14 and verse 15, so it would be great if you could keep your Bibles open to the Gospel reading you just heard or reopen them to page 1074, 1074, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. And if we found that, shall we start with prayer? Pray, Almighty Father, that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit to help us as we consider your word together. We pray that we would find their truth and comfort and hope. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The human heart is wondrously made. It can feel the heights of joy and hope and love and peace as well as, perhaps, all too often, the troubling depths of sorrow and anxiousness and fear and grief, the fear, perhaps, of a future unknown, or even worse, a future that we see and we dread. Yet, even in the mists of the darkest night, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us a better word, a word which answers our sorrows and struggles, a word that grants rest to troubled hearts, an answer for our mourning and a hope for our fears. And this is the word which we will see today as we continue to listen in to Jesus as he prepares his first disciples to cope with his coming death. He has already told them last week, you may remember that his going away is for their sake. He goes to prepare a place for them. Where he is, they also will be. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said. Believe in God, believe also in me. And this is the comforting word that continues today. In this passage, packed with good promises. Good promises powerful to keep not just them, but us too. Faithful, firm, and at peace until he does come again. And the first of these is that those who love him show it not by being troubled and mourning at his going away, but by gladly keeping his word. As he says, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And better still, he then tenderly and lovingly promises to help us to do so, saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him 
nor knows him. These first disciples knew in a very real sense the help of Jesus. He's been with them, keeping them firm, stopping them from slipping, helping them in their weakness, and now he promises another helper, an advocate to do the same for them as he once did after he has gone. And he says they already, in a sense, know this helper because the Spirit is in the Son. The Spirit is in Jesus. And what he promises here is that they will one day know that Spirit in a more direct sense. For the Spirit that is now in the Son will dwell in them too. He says, and you know him, for he dwells with you, that's now, and will be in you. That's the promise. As St. Paul will later say, the Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us according to the will of God. Sisters and brothers, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know all the challenges that you face today. I don't know what pressures you, that might be pushing you to turn away from keeping Christ's word and trusting in him. But I do know this. I know for certain that if you love him, then you are not facing these things on your own. You have another helper, the Spirit. He is with you and will remain with you in every trial, just as if Jesus were with you in the flesh. It's a wonderful promise, isn't it? The next great and comforting promise today is the promise now not just of the Spirit, but also of the Father and the Son. He starts verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. The words of Jesus are so tender, aren't they? They're the words of a parent who loves the beloved child dearly, who reassures the child, no, I will not forsake you. I will not abandon you. I will certainly come back. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. But what is the coming of which he speaks here? Does he mean he will come to them by the Spirit? Or perhaps he will come to them in the resurrection? Or perhaps he will come again on the day of judgment? Because he does come in all those ways, doesn't he? But on the day of judgment, actually the world will see him. So that doesn't quite fit. And after the resurrection, although he does come to his disciples, actually he then ascends and and would leave them as orphans again, if that's what he means. And so given the context, it seems that what he means is he will come to them by the Spirit. Just like now, the Spirit is with them in the Son. On that day, the Son will be with them in the Spirit who dwells in them. 
And in fact, in this passage, we don't just learn of how the Spirit is in the Son and the Son is in the Spirit. We also learn how the Son is in the Father too. We start to see how each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwell in each other. As he says, verse 20, <coughs> In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And I believe this to be a very comforting promise. Why is it comforting? Do you see that this is a promise, that we do not just have a spirit to help us in our weakness. It is a promise that with that spirit, we have life through the Son. As he says, because I live, you also will live. And we also have, by the same Spirit, the love of the Father, as he says. And he who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, if we have the Father, we have with him, so if we have the Spirit, we have with him the Father and the Son too, and every blessing that means. And better yet, as we obey the word of the Son through the Spirit, actually we are obeying the Father because the words of the Son are the words of the Father. As he says, the verse 24, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? And that brings us to what I believe is the very most wonderful and comforting of our promises today. The promise of being united to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 23, he promises us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The very concept of this is marvelous. The eternal creator of the world, the judge of all flesh, making his home with us. It is wonderful and it is very, very deep. In fact, it is so deep that it seems these first disciples struggled to fully understand it. But yet again, Jesus speaks tenderly to them. And he promises them that the Spirit will both remind them of everything he has said and teach them what it means. He says, verse 25, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And what does that mean for us, though, today? It means first and foremost that when we see the apostles go on to speak so accurately and beautifully and powerfully and comfortingly about the Trinity, we know we can trust them. Because the Son promised to teach them these very things by the Spirit. And through them we too have the comfort of glimpsing the Trinity. The comfort because... I hope we are starting to see today that the Trinity is not just 
dry theology or irrelevant truth. The doctrine of the Trinity is the beating heart of our comfort and our faith and our love of God. I hope we are seeing that we're not just seeing, yes, our God is one God in three persons, but we are seeing that this one God in three persons is for us, that he loves us, that he dwells with us and is in us by the Spirit, that he gives himself to us with love and life and comfort. And if we grasp this, the implications are profound and infinite. But let me give you just three. First of all, who are you? If you love him, then you are first of all a temple of the true and living God who dwells with you and in you by the Spirit temple of the living God. And if you grasp that, then it will transform how we use our bodies, how we seek to glorify him with our lives, won't it? You are a temple of the living God. And secondly, he is with you. Perhaps you are here today and your heart is troubled. Perhaps you're facing the hostility of the world. You're days are a battle. Perhaps you are here and you feel oppressed and afflicted or just lonely, so alone. You fear what tomorrow might hold. But what does he say to you? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He has not left you as orphans. He has come to you. The Father and the Son have made their home with you by the Spirit who dwells in you. God loves you. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are not alone. But third, and I believe this is the most wonderful implication of all, it means peace, true and everlasting, eternal peace with God. Yes, it is true that there was a time when we were cut off, separated from God because of our sin, when we became fearful and lived in dread of judgment. But God himself has crossed the chasm and come to us. We no longer need to hide in shame like Adam did. The cherubim with flaming sword no longer blocks the way to life. The curtain is torn from top to bottom and we have peace with God, not because we have found a way to come to him, but because in grace and love he has come to us. This is a wonderful peace, isn't it? And it is the very peace that our Lord Jesus now promises in verse 27, as he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as this world gives to I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And when we hear this, we should be speechless. We should be astounded. We should be dumbfounded. What is this? Surpassing peace for sinners like us? How can it be? He starts to explain how it can be in the last verses of our passage, verse 28 to 31. And I want us to notice three things here about these verses. I want us to notice, first of all, that it starts with him going for their sake to the Father. As he says, verse 28, you heard me saying to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Think it through. What kind of peace would it be if we had peace with the Son, but not with the Father? He must go to the Father to bring us to peace with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is why he went there, and if they knew that, then they would have rejoiced. But the second thing in these verses is that he stresses that this he does willingly. This going to the Father, this suffering and death on the cross, looks to the world like the devil has power over him, like the devil has power over the rest of sinful mankind. It looks to the world like death has charged him with sin and claimed his life as payment. But he has no sin, and the ruler of this world has no claim on him. The reason he goes to that cross is because he loves the Father, and obeys his word willingly. Verse 29, he says to us, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. And what is it that the Father has commanded him? The Father has commanded him to die for us sinners, to bring us peace with God forever. The Father has commanded him to bear our sins upon himself and suffer the death which is ours, that we can be forgiven and given the gift of peace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is why he was sent for us. This is why he took flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is why he suffered and died for us. And he does it all willingly because he loves the Father. And then he shows it. Our passage ends with him willingly taking the next step towards that hour he dreads. The next step towards betrayal and shame and death, willingly, as he says. Rise, let us go from here.
And if we love him, we will rejoice. It's a wonderful, wonderful peace he comes to bring, isn't it? Dear brothers and sisters, do you need to know that kind of peace with God? Are you here today and deep down you are burdened? You're worn out by the guilt of your sins. Are you troubled in heart or filled with shame, ready to flee before his face? Or perhaps you're here and somehow you, you've always felt too scared to love him. Perhaps you felt frightened of coming to him in faith. But dear sisters and brothers, there are no words of terror here. To those who love him, sinners though we are, he speaks only love and only peace. And as John goes on to say, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Know this. Know his blood has purchased us peace. Know he went to the Father to secure our peace. Know his spirit dwells with you now to guarantee that peace. And what is left for us? but to trust him for it. For peace he leaves with you. His peace he gives to you. True peace with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Let's pray. We thank and we praise you, Almighty Father, for the very, very great wonders of your love towards us sinners in your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you that he so loves you that he willingly became flesh and died for our forgiveness to bring us the gift of eternal peace. And we pray, Father, that through him and by your spirit, you would quieten our troubled hearts. We pray that you would reassure us in our loneliness, in our struggles. We pray that we would always know that the spirit is in us and that both father and son have made their home with us. Pray, Father, that by that same spirit, you would give us the strength to keep his word, to walk in his commandments. Pray, Father, for our burdens of sin, that those would not trouble our hearts. We pray that you would bring the peace of the cross to quieten our souls and make them still in the forgiveness of those sins. And we pray, Father, for the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes one more time to bring all those who love him to that heavenly kingdom of perfect rest and peace forever. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.